once that connection is made and they they get past you know the way we always did it and they figure out the best way that's where the good ideas come from that's where the the better widget the faster widget the more cost effective widget comes from it, it doesn't come from my office it doesn't come from my detailers or my my engineering team it comes from the field guys working with those bim guys to find a better way to do it hello innovators i'm todd wyant and welcome to the bridging the gap podcast presented by applied software you're invited to join our mep and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward my guest today is corey borchardt senior vice president of operations at fisk electric with over 20 plus years of electrical construction experience, Corey brings an innovative approach to construction, utilizing prefabrication, technology, and project management skills to drive operational excellence. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thanks for having me, Todd. Looking forward to this. So let's start with how you got into the construction industry. Uh, by accident, actually. Um, I, I, I thought I wanted to be an engineer when I grew up. I, I went to... Um, Michigan Tech uh, for for engineering, and I really gravitated to the more hands-on stuff. And I started working for a contractor when I was um, still in college, and um, accepted an offer with them after college. And it just spiraled out of control from there. Uh, just uh, traveling around the country, building big projects, working for some big contractors, um, doing some really cool stuff. And I, I really like being part of these big projects. You know, seeing a big tunnel project or a manufacturing facility or a power plant being built, you know, getting that conclusion of um, starting something and finishing it is, is what really drew me to construction. And I think trying to get younger kids in the construction today and some of the younger generation that really don't see construction as a field, trying to sell that piece to them of seeing something finish is a really good strategy to, uh, to get people interested. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always start off with how people got into the industry because I think it's it's fascinating. It, there's a couple tracks that <laughs> seem common. It's either the family owned business or there's yeah. the engineer turned construction. <laughs> yeah. You mean you got into construction? On, you got into it on purpose? You mean you did it without <laughs> being forced into it? Yeah. You know, so, some of us just don't have any other choice. But, you know, in my case, I did choose to get into construction. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, leaning into some on how to attract the, the younger generation, that's a, it's a, a fun topic to kind of unpack. We won't necessarily have to spend a, a ton of time there on in this conversation, but what do you see as kind of that, that main grip? What about seeing that come to life um, is gripping the, the younger generation right now? You know, it, it is a problem in the industry. It's not just in the electrical trades. It's in all, all trades are facing the same problem. We're competing with uh, the perception of that you have to go to college to make a good living. And it's, it's a real problem. I think the trades are starting to get more organized and they're starting to um, sell themselves a little bit better. Um, there's some great initiatives going on in uh, different parts of the country with the trades to to attract the younger workforce. And it gets back to education of um, the high schools and the high school level um, counselors um, to, to get them up to speed on this. But but really, we're, we're seeing this this really weird paradigm in the workforce. And it kind of ties into what we're going to talk about today with technology is that you have the a little bit older generations 
that are more experienced that you need on the project to to because of their experience and their ability to um, build the projects and and knowing the sequence and how to how to get the to the finish line. And then you got the young generation that can work the technology and <laughs> and understand the technology that is being introduced into the um, to, to the workforce and and bringing those two you know groups together and trying to get them to um, to learn from each other has, has, has really been the interesting dynamic over the last couple of years um, with, with the trades. And, and I know from talking to other executives um, in, in, the, in the industry that, that we all struggle with the same thing. And it's, it's attracting the young people and keeping them interested and trying to matriculate them into the workforce with that older generation that is very quick to say, well, this is the way we always did it. And it was fine. You know, it right. It worked. It would work for fifty years. Why are we going to do it different? Um, so, right. you know, it's it's a very very unique time um, in the in the construction world, trying to see that go together. And then the other challenge is is um, the the management teams at a lot of these contractors are transitioning to a, a, a more young and up and coming group in their senior management team. And, and that's, you know, myself included, you know, being on a management team um, with the average, if you take myself out of it, the average age is 65 or, or 63. And, and that becomes an issue when you're talking about technology sometimes is um, mm-hmm. trying to, trying to stay in, in front of those things. Not that the, the other generation can't embrace the technology and be part of it, but, they're maybe not as quick to uh, push for it as you know some of the, yeah. the younger people coming into the trades. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting time in construction because there's a lot of complexities of just dynamics going into it, not to mention the complexities of an actual project. But right. you have, uh, I'm probably a broken record to our, our regular listeners, but I, I think that there's a big marketing problem in construction and that we do a really bad job telling our stories to those outside of the industry. We probably do a bad job to those inside the industry too, but sharing the, the cool tech and the innovation that is actually already here in the industry, we let other people drive our, our narrative outside of the constructions, the you know a, a menial job that you don't need the education for. And that's just, there's not true. There, you know, there, you, there's so much tech and, and smart people in this space. We just don't tell that story well enough exactly and and i I gotta tell you the number of extremely talented tradesmen that are doing this construction work will will blow your mind and when i say talented i'm you know creative artists um you know tech savvy we we got electricians that do programming on the side for fun that moon moonlight as you know app developers i mean these (laughs) they're brilliant people and they're doing construction and they're you know, they're bringing a very unique dynamic to the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think another dynamic that's interesting you brought it up is that with that intergenerational play, I'm a huge fan of reverse mentoring of pairing the older person with a younger person. So you get that real world expertise matched with the, the people that are more uh, native to technology and both can learn and grow with each other on areas of weakness. And I think that that just helps the company tremendously. 
Right. I, I think any good training um, plan includes that two-way mentoring or, yeah. you know, some type of, you know, it's almost like you got, you're kind of checking two boxes, right? With the younger people, when you give them that opportunity to mentor someone or teach someone, they feel more like part of the team and more like, um, you know, a bigger role, more important. And it keeps them engaged. It keeps them excited. And, and the person receiving that mentoring or that training needs it. They don't know they need it, but they need it just as much as, as the young guy that's getting mentored on, you know, um, you know, the 40 years experience that he doesn't have. Right. So, right. Yeah. I, I think that the, the trick of it is, you know, it, the, a lot of the processes did work for 40 years. And so I, I can, appreciate the people that are saying, well, it's worked for this long. Why do we need to change? But the simple fact of it is that construction now and moving forward in the next decade is, is not the construction industry that has been. Yeah. So you're going to need to adapt. It looks different, right? Yeah. Uh, 15 years ago or, or 20 years ago, when I started in the business, you would get a, a roll of drawings in the mail. <laughs> you know, the FedEx truck would back up and unload, you know, 10, 15 um, packages of drawings and half of them were bids and half of them were updates to projects you already had. And someone spent all day sorting those drawings and making copies of those drawings and figuring out where they go. Yeah. And you had two months to bid a, a $20 million project for an electrical project. And now um, and, and you only got what you needed to bid the job. They didn't send you everything because they'd have to kill a whole rainforest to print everything. <laughs> and, and now you get a link and an email and they give you access to every document electronically and they are expecting you to do something with it, review it, acknowledge it, include it in your bid. And instead of giving you two months, you get two weeks. Um, so yeah. if you're doing it the same way, if you're going to that link and you're printing off every document to review it, you, you physically don't have the time to do the bid. You, you don't even have time to print all the documents and get them organized, you know, right. in a reasonable amount of time, much less get the, the, the bid or the estimate done and back to, to the general contractor. So a lot of the construction practices, you know, are the same, you know, we, we still wire a white fixture the same way or, a, or pour a concrete slab the same way, but the way we get there, the way that we figure out where it goes and how many we need is very different today than it was uh, 15 or 20 years ago. Do you feel indestructible? Well, do you? Then MEP Force 2021 is the event for you. It is the gathering place for industry thought leaders throughout MEP to come together and learn the new technology trends in prefabrication and more. The best part is it's all industry led and driven, meaning real people from the trades will be leading the almost 80 breakout sessions. So you'll be getting real life practical examples and use cases to take back and implement right away. This year we'll be having some in-person networking events in select cities so sign up today and we just may be coming to your city. Go over to MEPForce.com to claim your edge today and use promo code BTG to get your discounted ticket. Looking forward to seeing all my innovators at MEPForce. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's lean into contact. So as an executive, how do you really analyze the ROI of 
contact to figure out the right tech stack that your company needs? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bigger part of my job today than I ever expected it to be. Um, I'm having conversations about machine learning and, you know, cloud storage and data, you know, that I never thought a construction company would be thinking about. And uh -huh. it's, it's software overload. It's information overload, overload. And when you go to a trade show now, you, you go to a NECA or MCA event and, and a good percentage of the vendors that are there are going to be some type of software company. And mm -hmm. it's come a long way. You know, five years ago, you were a very early adopter of these things. You, you, you probably got in on the development. And now a lot of these things are developed. And, you know, we're even seeing some of these companies go public, which really gives them you know, you know, there, it's a real business. If, if you can take a startup construction software company and take it into a public um, company, it's a, it's a real business. There's something there. So as an executive, you're, you're getting all these things coming to you and you're, you're looking at them and, and, and you're, you're thinking, man, that's really cool. But, but then you step back and you say, okay, what am I really going to do with this? It's yeah. great. It's, it's great stuff. It's all, it all works. It all does something. Uh, it solves some problem, but maybe it's not the right problem for your organization. So the approach that we've taken and, and I've taken in the past is when we're looking at, at technology is really putting yourself in the field positions shoes. We're trying to embrace technology that will streamline their day. Um, it's great to have dashboards. It's great to have reports. It's great to have, you know, you have to have an ERP, you know, uh, accounting software. You have to have all these things and that's all important. But an electrician or a plumber or a sheet metal guy, they don't care what software you run for your accounting just so their check comes, you know, they, 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 they right. never know. But, but if you can find a software that takes their day and eliminates a pain point in their day or streamlines a process or gives them a tool or access to more information, that's the software you want to focus on. That's the technology you want to focus on. And trying to always take the assumption that one size fits all is the other pitfall that a lot of people fall into and they'll adopt something and say, this will work for everybody and we're going to force everybody to use it. And then a year down the road, after you're heavily invested in servers and training and consultants to integrate, you realize that you're now paying people to do stuff twice because you made everyone in your organization be part of this. And you find out that they're still doing, having to do it a different way. And then someone's you're paying somebody to key it into a software so that someone can get a report over here or a dashboard over here. And that, that's frustrating as an executive to, to see all that money being spent and effort and time and resources to not really get any, any return on that investment. And to me, as an MEP sub, the return on the investment is in the field. It's, it's the guys that are doing the work more efficiently um, with less rework with, um, more consistency and better productivity. I love that you guys focus in on the field because I feel like that can, when we start talking about contact, it the, the field oftentimes can get kind of overlooked and it's about what's making the, the office and the back end more efficient and, and not through the, the lens of 
the field. Um, so I think that's great. But how do you judge software then through the prism of this is going to make a day in the life of a contractor easier and not create that extra work? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's tough. It's, it's a complex question. And it, it, and it, it starts with really identifying and knowing what problem you're trying to solve. Are, are you, what are you trying to solve with this, this software? Um, and then once you, and there might, there might be several problems that, that a software solves. And, and then you have to take a step back and say, well, how do we do it today? And how, what's it gonna look like if we implement the software? And from, from there, you try to put yourself in the field of that 30 year salty construction electrician to, to think about how it impacts him mm -hmm. and will he be able to use it? Is, it? is it intuitive enough for him to use when the process is done? Is it something that's repeatable for him? Is it, is it something that um, is gonna make his, his day easier? So um, there's, there's a few things that we've seen come into the industry that when you roll it out to your people, they're high five it. You know, there's, there's, you know, when, when, when we got our first Trimble unit, and we did training for people. Um, those guys were high fiving and and you know talking about it. And, I mean, they were excited because they seen, man, this is really going to move the needle on a job. Not only is it going to be quicker, but it's going to be more accurate. We're not going to have to go back. We're not going to have to um, send three guys with a tape measure and a string and a plumb bob to to lay out all these things. And after the rebar is done, go back and double check it. You know, they seen some real efficiency there. And as, you know, that's one of the real first technology things that really got embedded in construction. And then you, you started seeing things like iPads and tablet computers and, and smartphones coming in the mix. And, and you've seen a lot of guys carrying them, but you didn't see a lot of things happening with them. You know, they were, they were used for, they were used for taking pictures and they were great for Netflix at lunchtime. And they, they played solitaire during break time and, um, they could get their email, but they weren't you really using it as a construction tool. Now there's tools out there that allow, you know, they get the drawings um, real time, same time that the field engineer gets them in the office, the foreman's got them. They can, they can mark something up real time and get it out to the field. And some of those technology adoptions, the blue beams and the data and, and those type of products that have, um, Finishers, those are high five situations with the field guys where, where they're getting this information um, quickly, more streamlined, and it's intuitive for them. Um, the big thing that we're always looking at is how much admin work does it take to make this problem go away? You know, so it's great yeah. if you, it's great if you, you know, spend a million dollars on a software to to um, you know, just add another four admin people to your staff to uh, make it work. You know that doesn't really solve the problem, does it? So uh, that's you know kind of the balance you got to find is okay. We're going to make this work. It's going to it's going to streamline this, and we're gonna we're gonna be able to repeat it and add administer it in a way that it's it's going to be a long term solution. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested that how do you communicate? to the field guys that they're going to get the needed information at the right time in the way they want it. They'll understand, and then they'll use it and get, get buy-in. 
Yeah. So, sometimes you communicate that with a baseball bat, quite <laughs> frankly, um, <laughs> other times it's open, but you know, again, the, the way that we're doing the work is, is changed, you know, with more prefab, um, more assemblies, more kits, more, you know, more things being introduced into it. It's more important for that to be identified earlier in the job and for the field staff to be aware of what that is earlier in the job. So as we're prefabbing things or deciding what we're going to prefab and we're modeling uh, the project, the field supervision needs to be part of that. And those, those are the interactions where um, you, you feel like you won. You know it's working when your foreman has your BIM modeler or your designer on speed dial. And he calls him, he doesn't call the project manager, he doesn't call the superintendent, he doesn't call the estimator, he calls the modeler to get answers. He calls the modeler to yeah. give him a suggestion on how to do it better. That's when you know you won. That's when you know that they bought into the system, they're getting what they need, and they're part of the solution by giving feedback and communicating with that modeler. If the modeler never hears from the field, chances are they're not using it. They're, they're not using it to the full extent. They might be using it, but they're not using it the way that they could use it um, to, to the fullest right. extent. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, no, that's a great gut check. So uh, I'd love for you to kind of share your story then on your prefab journey. What was the, the origin of that journey like? And then what uh, did you do to kind of bring that on and embrace it, make it a reality. Yeah. So for me, I, I was fortunate enough to really get involved with prefab very early, what I would consider early for um, the, the kind of evolution of prefab in construction. And the challenge early was, it was also the early time for modeling. So um, BIM modeling was starting to become more prevalent. A lot of time it was just an add-on to the engineering process so that the owner had got a cool picture and they could do a walkthrough before it was built and that, you know, they could show people it wasn't really being used for much beyond that. So when we, when we initially embarked on doing prefab, we weren't using the model to create any type of, of uh, prefab assemblies. We're still relying on the two dimensional drawings, some standard uh, prefab details that we would build up. And I would say that was prefab 1.0. We were doing the simple stuff like mm -hmm. uh, wall, wall rough in, pre-cut and strut supports, um, you know, may, maybe doing pre-bends um, for conduit runs, things, things of that nature. And the mechanical guys were ahead of the electrical guys. They were already spooling conduit, you know, off of their 2D uh, drawings there between their ISOs and their, <clears throat> their layout drawings. They were already uh, spooling stuff. And, and, you know, that's, that's a form of prefabrication. Well, as the evolution of the model grew, the model became the source of truth, more and more the source of truth. And we've seen the 2D drawings now being developed from the model, not the other way around. And 
what that kind of changed was that you had to integrate the model process in your prefab. And that's when I call it prefab 2.0. That's when you're building racks, attaching the pipes, making 20, 40, 60 foot sections that you can ship on a truck, lifting them in with a crane or a forklift and kind of creating this jigsaw puzzle of pieces that are just assembled. That requires a lot of coordination, not only with um, the, your own people, you know, and your own BIM designers, but also with the rest of the trades. And if that model is a source of truth, everyone can do this. Everyone can do their, their, their prefab in a, in a very uh, confident way to know that it's going to work. You're going to have your glitches, but you have a sense of it's going to work. So the more that the modeling process evolves, the more sophisticated we're able to get with our prefab. And, you know, there's tools out there now, you know, like Evolve, you know, MEP is one of those, those tools that's kind of changed the way that we think about um, what we can prefab. And it's, it's changed the level of detail that we're putting into our model uh, because it's more um, efficient using that tool to get that information into the model, which then creates this prefab um, uh, details for it, for you. And, and the, the field guys see drawings and models with more detail, which makes it easier to relate. It makes it easier to prefab and then it makes it easier to adhere to and keeping it that source of truth on the job. That's always the challenge is keeping something as your main source of truth. You know, it happens on jobs where the model gets away from the job and, you know, as far as the, the building of the model and then they revert back to the 2D drawings and then they just as built the 2D drawings and eventually when the job's done, they go back and, and fix the model. When that happens, that's a dangerous time to be in the electrical trade because you've already built a lot of your prefab based on the model and everybody following the model. And now they're not following right. the model. And you're, you're end up doing rework or you're having these tough conversations with your customer probably that, hey, you're causing me to rework because this guy didn't put this in the right way or this dimension is off or this hanger is in the wrong spot or you know this duct work isn't where it's supposed to be or sprinkler head. So there's a, there's a lot of things that can go sideways when we get away from that model. So, um, Back to your original question, the evolution of, of prefab has really followed that, that BIM model in a lot of cases. And, and when you look at some of the um, bigger contractors across the country that are doing extensive, extensive, extensive amounts of prefab, um, they are the you know, early adopters of modeling. Modeling because it helps their install, not because it's a line in the contract that says they're required to do. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's where you got to get. You got to do it because it helps your install. It helps your prefab, not because your owner said in paragraph seven that you have to provide a BIM model. Right. Yeah. You got to be bought in to the process. Right. Not just come kicking and screaming <laughs> for it to be really done right. 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 Oh, how has Evolved then helped you on that that prefab journey? Really what Evolve has done for us is given us that, I call it the smarts that go into the model, the detail, the level of detail, in almost like canned detail, so to speak, that um, 
gives the modelers a library of components to build in all in one place. And it adds the, the smarts to it that really lend itself to prefab assemblies and, and details and kitting and bills of material that they, they didn't invent the model, right? They just made the modeling better. They're, they're doing the, the sophistication into their families and their components that the, the modeling people have built in for other, other traits or other parts of the project, whether it's the, you know, the, the civil or the steel or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what Evolve MEP has really done is kind of built that, uh, you know, smarts into the families to allow all the modelers to be working off a common platform, common assemblies, um, and producing those same consistent standard details that the field guys get to know and understand. You know, mm-hmm. so when you when you start creating, you know, setting this up, you create your standard details. You you take a look at okay, if I'm if I'm doing underground duct bank insulation, I'm going to need reference to steel. I'm going to need dimensions. I'm going to need these things on the on the on the the prefab drawings that come out of the model. And you create those details. You train your field people on what they mean. They learn that it's a source of truth. And once they know it's source of truth, then it becomes their tool. Yeah, that's awesome. Everybody's talking the same language then. Right. That's great. Uh, so as you're growing and you know using new technology, embracing new methods, how do you build that consistency in the workflows? Yeah. So and and that's that's what it's about. That that's where some of the efficiency comes, right? It's consistency. Um, right. The 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 big challenge there is back to how we started well this is how we always done it you know so breaking that um is the the first step but creating those processes has to be somewhat dynamic and creating those those things have to be dynamic because you have to give the field something that's going to make their life better back to your original mission statement to make their installation better so when we create these things we're looking, we're, we're, we're sending out these details that are coming out of the model that have the prefab information. They're going out to the fab shop, they're getting out to the field and they're installing them and we're getting feedback. Like, hey, you know, if we did this next time or we did that next time, we could do this. And it's back to that interaction with the foreman or the installer and the detailer of evolving those processes as they go. You know, it can't be from the top down. This is how we're going to do it. We lay out the framework. We put, give everybody the tools, whether it's the, the iPad with the model and the, this technology in place and the BIM modelers with the, you know, the right BIM software and the right plugins and the, the Evolve database. And we give them all the tools and then they have to give us that feedback of what's going to work and and what's going to be the most efficient and it, it's going to be different from job to job and that's that's the challenge is you have to have a process that's rigid enough or standard enough that you're getting consistent output that is measurable so you can make sure that you're achieving your 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 goals but it has to be flexible enough that it can adapt from a hospital project to a to a power plant project to a refinery to a data center so you, you have to have some um, flexibility uh, built in there to, to be able to allow those things all to happen. And it's, it's a journey. 
it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no switch that you throw and it just starts happening. It takes trial and error. It takes screwing up a lot of times. It takes rework. It takes um, throwing something in the garbage because it was built wrong to learn from those mistakes to, to make it right. And what I found is when the, the field guys find those mistakes and they're part of fixing it, they never happen again. They go away. Where if we make a mistake on an assembly and we just keep building it and keep sending it to them over and over and again, and we don't get that feedback from them and they're not part of the solution, we keep doing the same thing over and over again until mm-hmm. somebody, somebody gives that feedback of, 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 of making that change. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place, and there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah. So one of the kind of key foundational elements I think of in what you're talking about is having those open lines of communication flowing between all those different groups and, and having the culture of the company that people can bring up different things of, Hey, this is working. This is not working. This could be better if we did it this way. And, and having those lines of communication, how do you encourage that and create those connections to different groups that maybe historically haven't seen eye to eye or had those lines of communication? Right. Cause you know, the first time you send uh, prefab assemblies to the 35-year uh, veteran general foreman, the first thing he does is he takes it apart so he can assemble it in the field the right way. You know, I mean, that that, that <laughs> yeah. happens. That, yeah. that has happened multiple times sure. to me in my career. So, but once that, you know, you know, back to what I said, once that interaction between that detailer that is drawing that or that prefab manager that's building it and that installer once that connection is made and they they get past you know the way we always did it and they figure out the best way that's where the good ideas come from that's where the the better widget the faster widget the more cost effective widget comes from it, it doesn't come from my office it doesn't come from my detailers or my my engineering team it comes from the field guys working with those BIM guys to find a better way to do it. Yeah. What about on the the contact side of things? How do you encourage, whether it's the, you know, the field guys or the the BIM modelers or how do they, if they find a technology that excites them or they think might create efficiencies, how do they then communicate that and then push it up the, the chain to find the right person that has the, you know, maybe the, the buying power or the decision-making power 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's some of it is cultural, right? Um, you know, you you have to have a culture where you're encouraging your people to find a better way. Um, it's it's a big challenge because there's so much out there, right? There's so much contact out there right now. It's you know, I said it, it was software overload, so to speak. Yeah. And and as an executive, you're you're constantly saying no to these things. You know, we already have something, or you know, you just implement a, a payroll solution, and then there's a new payroll solution that comes out, and everyone, you know, the first thing that happens is someone likes a new payroll solution, and they bring it in there, and and you got to tell them no because you know we just invested all this money in this other solution, right? Um, and and you can't you can't adopt everything. Not everything works. Not everything makes sense for. You know, you got the 80-20 rule. It's usually 80-20. It's very rarely 100%. 80-20. 80% of the people are going to like it. 20% of the people aren't. It's not going to fit. They're going to the person that made the decision that said, let's, let's implement it. I can guarantee they got shot down multiple times. Somebody's seen it. Somebody tried it. They said, man, this is, this is, this is the new thing. This is great. Let's do it. And somewhere in that management chain, it just got nixed. And getting that, you know, whoever, whoever's championing it, getting that person to, to, to find another Avenue or to, um, find a way to sell it better or, or, or whatever, you know, however he's got to do it within the organization to make it happen is a challenge. And it all comes down to the culture. I, I know in, in, in my company at Fisk, we have a culture where there's no, there's no layer, there's no chain of custody or chain of command, excuse me, so to speak, that says, Hey, if you're a, a foreman, you can only talk to the general foreman and the general foreman can talk to the superintendent. The superintendent will talk to the PM. The PM will talk to the, and by the time a good idea in the field gets to me, it's been ten, through 10 people. And it's like the, it's like the, um, the string and can game or, yeah, you know, you're talking, <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. So it, it, it doesn't translate well. So right, embracing that culture where as an executive, you gotta be curious enough to talk to the people that are in the field to find out what is um, is a pain point or, or what we could do better. You got you to ask them, are you getting what you need? Are, are you, um, hey, have, have you thought of a better way to do this? Is, is there something we could do to make this better? Or what would make your day easier? Little, little questions, that curiosity from the executive level down to that level within the organization you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. I mean, 99 bad ideas and one good one is the, the one good one is the only one you, you count, right? The, the other right. ones, you, you, you're only out your time to listen to them. Um, but, but really establishing that culture of, of curiosity at the executive level, curiosity at the middle management level of what will make your people more efficient and what will make it more successful will lead to, you know, profit at some point in your organization. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that, that curiosity mentality and circling back on something that you said a little bit ago uh, with having the willingness to try something and being okay. If it doesn't turn out exactly the way you, you want it and 
learn from that. I think that mindset is, is huge and it's, it's so important. I, I see it popping up more prevalent in construction, but it's a, it's a changing mindset for sure from how generally construction used to have, you know? So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I was, I was at a, um, a, a meeting a couple uh, weeks ago with a bunch of other construction executives and we were, we, it was, it was a cocktail hour conversation. We were talking about technology and, you know, software overload. And we, and listening to some of these guys talk, they're, they're all kind of bragging about, you know, yeah, all our guys have iPads and all our guys have tablet computers. And all our guys have this. And, I, and I'm like, well, awesome. What do they use it for? And I just get this blank look. Like they had no idea what they use it for. Well, you know, email and, and, and they can look stuff up and, you know, they can take pictures. Um, I'm pretty sure that they do their time on there or not, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but, but, you know, but just that curiosity of, okay, we spent millions of dollars on hardware. What are we doing with it? Right. What's, what's it being used for? What's the utilization? You know, if you had a pickup truck that you bought for a project and it sat in the parking lot 99% of the time, you would probably not keep that pickup truck more than likely you would get rid of the pickup truck from that job site and you would rent one when you needed it, or you would find another way to, to do whatever that truck was doing. The same kind of applies for the IT hardware we have. If they're not sure. using it effectively, why are we buying it? And then we forget that once you've got the initial investment of the hardware and the network and the infrastructure, you still have to have the software tools for them to be productive on those pieces of equipment. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really being well thought out with the plan, being agile enough to change it when it's, you need to tweak it, but being well thought out before you roll something out of how you're right. actually going to use it. Right. Nice. Well, how do people get a hold of you and, and find out more about what you guys are doing at Fisk? Um, obviously, uh, you know, check out our website, uh, www.fiskcorp.com. Well, we're on LinkedIn. We try to share a lot of that stuff on, on LinkedIn. We're on, we're on Instagram. Um, we're kind of new to the, to the social media thing as, you know, again, you try things and they don't work and then you figure out, you know, our first trial was we don't need to be online. It doesn't matter, but uh, <laughs> found that being, being online is a great recruiting tool. You know, talk about <laughs> find, finding those younger people. Um, you know, that's a great way to, uh, and, and really back to with the way we started, social media is a way for us to share some of the cool stuff that we build. We build really cool stuff. And I don't care if you're building yeah. Amazons or automotive manufacturing plants or battery uh, manufacturing plants or solar farms, whatever it is, they're cool. And they get the attention of people and sharing that stuff um, is a great way for contractors to attract people to it, make it make it cool, make it sexy, yeah. make it something that they want to do. Um, so I encourage everybody that is out there to, even if it's on your personal uh, LinkedIn page or whatever, to share that stuff, get it out there, you know, let everybody know the cool stuff you're doing. So you can help us attract more people into the industry. Yeah. Amen. And props to you guys for having social accounts and a webpage. It's, it's always a little shocking to me on how many construction companies out there that don't have any online presence at all. And um, I mean, that's the, 
it's the way of the world now i think you got to be online right well it's it's easy to to do the analysis and see no return on investment well my customers aren't going to go to my webpage they're they're they know who i am or you know, they're, they're, when they're looking for somebody to build a Amazon center for them, they're not going to go on the web and look for, you know, for a contractor, but that's not the return on the investment. That's an added benefit is to attract customers. The real benefit of having social media and the webpage is to attract talent, Yeah, young and old, being out there, being able for them to be able to research you, to see the things you're doing, uh, to interact online. Um, you know, if I looked at who follows our LinkedIn page and our, our social media accounts, uh, 80% of them are people that work for either other trades or other general contractors or other electrical contractors, people that are in the industry, which isn't yeah. who I think you would be marketing to. My first thought is you're marketing to other customers but you're not, you're marketing to your peers and to your, your other tradesmen or your other trade organizations. Um, they're the ones that are looking at what other companies are doing and, and attracting people that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, well, last question for you. What does innovation mean to you? Innovation to me, innovation is curiosity, constantly being able to think of how or why something is happening. So if you think about how or why something is happening, it, it probably is going to lead you to um, an alternate way to do it. Maybe a better way, maybe it's not a better way, but um, to innovate, you have to be curious. You have to be uh, willing to think about outside the box, about a different way to do it without you know, just continue to do the same thing and same thing because you've done it over and over again. And I think uh, from, if you talk to a lot of people about innovation, they're going to have a different definition based on their role or their level in the organization. And yeah. when you get to an executive level or, or an ownership level, innovation, I'm not the guy finding the best way anymore to do it. I'm, I'm the guy asking the questions to get somebody else to figure out the best way or, or embracing their idea or giving them a, sh a shot to um, try their idea out within the organization. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a lesson that more business executives or construction owners, construction business owners and construction executives could, could learn from is, is that curiosity will lead to the innovation in their, in their organization. And, and that, that's something that comes, you know, that, whether that's the Amazon way or, you know, the, the Kaizen, you know, manufacturing way of finding a better way to do it or, or, or the lean manufacturing way, whatever way you want to say that you got to that, you know, point of saying curiosity is a thing. They all, they all have the same principle. It's all based on some type of curiosity or some type of um, innovation to, to try a different way to do it and being okay with failing if it doesn't work out the first time or the second time or the, hundredth time <laughs> yeah well that's a great way to end it right there uh, this was great thanks so much Corey. okay thanks for having me and now it's time for my todd takes from this episode first take i hope you enjoyed hearing Corey's executive perspective on contact as much as i did 
It is great that they judge through the prism of what makes the field's life better by streamlining and eliminating a pain point. He mentioned they asked themselves a series of questions when evaluating new software, which are, what problems are you trying to solve with the software? How are you handling that problem today? How would you address the problem with the software? And is it repeatable and easy to use? Second take, consistency and repeatability are two key essentials in any process. Corey mentioned that your process needs to be standard enough to ensure trust and consistent output to measure goals, but flexible enough to adapt to various project types. This is definitely a journey that requires trial and error for continual improvement. Final take, develop a culture of curiosity. To be truly innovative and embrace the future of construction, the entire company culture needs to be willing to try something different and ask questions. This will lead to profit gains in the long run. Keep asking yourself how or why is something happening and then be willing to listen and discover the answers. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.